Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of the Seabros Fishing Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Mass Bay Guides. Mass Bay Guides, a family-run charter fishing fleet based out of Situate, Massachusetts. We've been providing anglers with the ultimate fishing adventure for over 20 years. Whether you're looking to put together a multi-boat corporate fishing trip, or you're an avid angler that travels the world and you're looking to catch a giant bluefin tuna, the Mass Bay Guides crew will do anything it takes to make sure you, your friends, and your family have a great day on the water. To book a trip with us, visit the Mass Bay Guides website at massbayguides.com. And for the latest reports, content, and other info, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at, at Mass Bay Guides. This episode is also brought to you by Deep. New England born and bred, Deep is inspired by the fit of the skate and surf retail world, anchored in the technical aspects of the outdoor and offshore fishing apparel market. Deep designs clothes that bring comfort in the elements and also at the bar and restaurant. If you guys visit www.shopdeep.com, you can check out all the new apparel that they have coming out this spring. And if you use the promo code SEARSBRO, that's S-E-A-R-S, BRO20, you get 20% off your next order. We love these guys. Um, we've been friends with them for a while. Uh, what's cool about this company is, you know, some of the owners actually, they actually fish. They fish offshore. They fish the canyons. They giant tuna fish. They have a really, really good offshore program. So, you know, they're, they're making apparel and gear that, you know, truly does fit kind of the lifestyle and, and some of the requirements that we have in, in the offshore fishing world. Our guest on today's episode of the podcast is a well-known captain, mate, and professional photographer. He grew up and started his career in North Carolina and has traveled the world following his passion of big game fishing. He's been a mate aboard the Benchmark, a 37 Merit out of Kona, Hawaii since 2016, and fishes primarily for Big Blue Marlin. His abilities as a fisherman and photographer have taken him to other incredible locations such as the Great Barrier Reef in Australia, Cabo San Lucas, Mexico for the Bisbees tournaments, and Prince Edward Island, Canada chasing 1,000-pound bluefin tuna. His content has been published in Marlin Magazine, Blue Water Magazine, In the Bite, and many others. Please welcome to the podcast, Captain Joe Byram. Welcome to the Seabros Fishing Podcast. No, your voice is always <laughs> quiet on this, dude. I know. I am a quiet talker. All right, I think we're good now. I mean, I can move it closer, but then I'd be sucking on the microphone. No, we're good. I think we're good. Yeah, just giving a slow radio. Oh, all right. Well, right now we're just here. <laughs> in the pickles. About the pickles and the cheese <laughs> and the pickles. Do you just sound Hi, like Bob cheese. Ross? <laughs> yeah. Just some happy trees. We can gather. Yeah. Zach Gillifinakis. Hey guys, you guys just want to talk about some fishing stuff? <laughs> All right, awesome. You guys want to hear about marlins with their big pointy noses? <laughs> They're mean. Dude. They're mean as a devil when they get by the boat. They try to kill you, I swear. They say, reach down and grab that leader. I said, fuck that. <laughs> Thing wants to fucking murder me. You get down there and grab him. I'm gonna cut him off before he oh. hurts somebody. Dude, he was doing these impressions the entire time in PEI. Yep, I'm glad I didn't go. It was unbelievable. <laughs> I would have been crying, laughing the whole time. Oh uh, shit! So yeah, the so bottle of rum helped. Yo, uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> polishing off a bottle of rum on the way out to the bank definitely 
helped our uh, pr- our productivity for sure. At least until about midnight. Yeah, I, I don't know yeah. how you stayed up so late, man. Like you and Pritch, like, like I, I, it got bad for me right after those chicken wings. I finally like because I was like, I don't know, maybe we'll drop a bait or something again. I don't know. We're like kind of cruising, and then Pritch was still up. And finally, after a while, I was like, all right, I'm gonna lay down on the floor in here and just like pass out and. For some reason, against my camera case, I was like, "Oh, let's see if I can find the hardest thing on this boat to use as a pillow." <laughs> that was the first. That was, like, his pelican case. Uh, that's oh what he was God. sleeping on. I was picturing like a soft bag. No, nah, no, no, no. Base. It's like the only other thing I could have picked that would have been worse is like a gaff. You know, <laughs> other than that, it's like I chose the worst thing on the boat. Oh, it was unbelievable. That was a great, great time though. Well, I'm sure we'll get into that at some point. Yeah, 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 for sure. But no, I, think, that was epic time. I think the best way to start us off is how did we even meet? Like, I mean, like the the coincidence and like how this is all like evolved into what it is now is pretty crazy yeah. when you think about it. Yeah, it's you know? so totally, totally. So and I feel like it's just the way things go in this. Business yeah. Too, so, just, so, so to catch like everyone kind of up to speed um, with how how we met Joe is. My wife and I were actually on our, our honeymoon. We had met another another Marlin fisherman, charter fisherman, uh, Sean Rotella, um, prior to going. You know, Taylor was kind of doing some business with him and stuff. And um, so we were like, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll fish three days with Sean, have a good time. Stay on the, we stayed on the Big Island for like a week, week and a half. And, uh, and then we stayed in Kauai for like a week. So... The first day out there, we had we fished with Mike. Was it, is it Mike Dekill or Dakel? Dakel. Mike Dakel. We fished with Mike yeah. Dakel, and we had one blue marlin bite like immediately in the morning. Marked one. Um, came up on the ruckus on the I don't know what your Hawaiian terms. We'll get into that with as far as the spreads and yeah, long corner, the, short corner, all corner. that's a. Yeah, it's super. Con- yeah, we moved to we went back to left short, right long, whatever this year on our rig yeah. because it was just like more people. It made more sense to more people, and you know, I mean, you, everybody else down there does the short corner, long corner, whatever. Yeah, we can get in that later. But, yeah, yeah, for sure. So, so we had this blue come up, um, jumped us off like pretty much immediately on the bite, and we had like a couple mahi. Then the next day, we got a short build spear fish. On and we actually bait and switched that fish on a uh, a live apelu, which was pretty sick. Oh, so we actually sick, yeah. we actually got him on like appropriate tackle, not a one thirty in the chair. Not that that there's anything wrong with that because that's you know one Hawaii and Kona's <laughs> claim to fame, but yeah, it's just not any fun catching a spearfish on a one thirty. You know, it's yeah. just like catching a Spanish mackerel on one. You know, it's yeah. like oh, <laughs> all right, exactly. You just basically surf them in at that point. Yeah, it's just flipping on top. You yeah, know? so yeah. So we got we got that. That was cool. That was it was cool to check that box. And then uh then the last day you were on the boat. Um it was what, Sean, Mike, and you. Yeah, yeah, me, Sean and Mike were on there. Yeah, Sean was running the boat that day. That was all in the night runner, right? You that was all in the night runner. We fi- yeah. yeah, yeah, we fished the night runner all three trips. Yep. Okay. And um Yeah. Yeah, so we get down like like you know, you're expecting like some, you know, Hawaiian or right, you know that you're expecting. You're expecting. You're expecting a, a Hawaiian. There's nothing wrong with saying yeah, that. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with saying that. And then <laughs> yeah, here comes yeah. this. Here comes this kid with like this. Like I have total hair envy. First off, <laughs> S- second off, he's talking in like a like a Carolina like Southern like accent. I'm like, 
how the hell did this kid end up here? You <laughs> yeah. know, like that was like that was like the first thing I thought. Like super nice guy. Um he was like awesome with Claire, like get her like squared away, like in the chair and all that. Like just like very, very, very professional. I mean, I mean, we've seen a million mates and charter guys and like, you know, you had your stuff dialed in. So, so hats off to you with that. Yeah. Appreciate that. But, um, <laughs> but, and then like we get into the day, put the spread out and then he starts busting out like his cameras. So he's got like some pretty sick, like, you know, Canon telephoto lenses he had two different bodies gopros and stuff i'm like I'm like all right this kid like obviously knows like what's going on as far as photography you know photography and videography so did it not click in your brain yet who he was i had no idea i had okay. no clue who he was <laughs> so we've been like looking at his stuff for god knows how long yeah exactly yeah. like like looking at his photos in marlin magazine um other publications and stuff so i had no idea and I, here i am with like i have like an um entry level dslr like a nikon d3100 which was which is like a 10 year old camera at this point i'm like oh yeah if you need to use my camera for any close range stuff like you know go for it he's like yeah he takes okay. his out and like, okay pal he yeah, takes man. his out and like dubs fly out of the bag it's <laughs> yeah. like oh yeah oh dude <laughs> So some kind of like WWE theme music goes on. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Stone Cold Stone Cold Steve Austin, oh, the glass yeah. break. Dun, 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 dun. Takes his camera out. Yeah. It's just glowing in the case and it's just a, a glass box <laughs> lights underneath it. Exactly. It's like the Tesseract rotating from uh yeah. Marvel yeah, movies Iron or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, that was a little too far. Yeah. But um yeah. <laughs> anyway, so he obviously like knows how to take a picture. And uh we hook a fish like kind of a blind bite. It was on the long rigger on like a Koya nine plus flashaboo skirt, which I now own one because what? Yeah, you, you, you got to you got to buy one out there. Yeah. It's a Hawaiian made lure thing, sick looking, catches a ton of fish. I actually learned how to fish how to fish it properly from you and from Mike. But, yeah, um, anything I'll eat that thing too. That yeah. thing is mean. Yeah, it's sick. And uh, we got it was like I don't know. 120 150 pound blue like perfect perfect blue marlin for for claire in the chair all lit up joe got some sick photos of it and, yeah that thing uh, was lit up nice yeah, yeah it was sick you and got I, a leader that one right that was yeah. the one you leadered right yeah, yeah exactly exactly and um which which is always like a weird situation like you're like you're with a new crew you know yeah and hopping on the wire for like the first time and like sean had like must have seen that taylor and i have like wired decent sized fish before like via video or whatever but you get two mates like that's their favorite part of the job that's the whole day that's like <laughs> yeah, the whole, that's like the whole day there. and they're like letting yeah. you do it like that speaks volumes to, to how those guys are right. out there, if you know what you're doing you know i think i want to say that you trying to think back for a minute but i'm pretty sure you're the only person that i or we've let <laughs> wire uh wire a fish on like a charter type situation you know like that wasn't part of the yeah normal crew or anything you know i've had people ask before and it's like no no nah, nah, i don't have insurance <laughs> for that kind of thing <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly exactly we've had guys ask for their you know if their kid can wire a fish and stuff and he comes with his brand new gloves and stuff that he you know just bought and you're like no this is not yeah. this is not the time to test to out try the gloves, it, you know right. yeah exactly yeah. so it's like no nah, you can do that at home wherever it's dangerous that is, dude you know? those things are berserk yeah, yeah. It's especially like, the small, especially the smaller ones at times. Like some of your videos, man, it's like insane. Oh, because we can, and especially fishing one thirty, like we're catching those smaller ones like a lot faster. Right, usually. so I green. Mean, catch, yeah, so you'll catch a big one fast sometimes, but 
you know, the little ones, I've been knocked off my feet more by 100, 150 pounders than I have 500 pounders for sure. You know, when they do something crazy at the boat and they're just swimming beside you straight up and down, not on their side at all. And you're like, oh, you're just walking the dog. You know, they're just, you got them in because you're using 35 pounds of drag. And then they go ape shit at the boat and start jumping all over the place. And, you know, those are the ones that jump in the boat. And yeah. Stuff, you know, it's dangerous because really you, you can turn their head. So they like, you know, they jump, they come right back at you. Exactly. You and know? they can make that turn. You can't telegraph it like a big one where you can, you know, kind of see, oh, okay, she's kind of moving this way. That one all of a sudden will be turned backwards or the other way and flip around, you know, so quick that before you can really make an adjustment for it. So, yep. yeah, those are the ones that get scary for sure. For sure. But yeah, and that was that was pretty much it. You took some some awesome photos. Like a day later, Claire and I are on a on a hike. I think we went to like Pololu Valley. I come back from that that day. There they are in my in my inbox, and then I'm like, oh, now I get who this kid is. <laughs> so you fished with him for a whole day, <laughs> yeah, and you still didn't know who he was. No idea, huh. zero clue. Wow, yep. zero clue. And then like, and then it obviously all came together, and I was like, oh, now I get it. Oh, okay. He's taken pictures of a fish before. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's caught a couple. How long have you yeah. done? How long have you done it for? Uh, for probably, I really my first camera I had a D fifty Nikon that I had probably uh, 12, 13 years ago or so. It was my first like DSLR. I think it was like a six megapixel, you know, DSLR when that was what magazines would take and stuff. And, uh, I started taking pictures like during like one of the years we're fishing the big rock or whatever. And got, I got a photo in there, a little program. They did, did like a photo contest every day and we had a terrible fishing week, but it was like, had one sale that was on for a little bit. I got some good shots of, and, uh, yeah, they, they got like their photo of the day and stuff there. And, uh, so then it was kind of like, Oh, okay. I might be able to like make some, I think I got like a hundred dollar check or something for it. And I was like, Oh, all right. I can get paid to, to take photos of fish. This is this is pretty rad, you know? And then as it went on, I kind of didn't, I, I was still shooting, but not as much. But really when I got to Hawaii, I started to get more serious about it kind of again and, and really up the gear up a little bit. But, you know, it was just something I could do. I like, you know, I was in the film industry for like seven years. And so that kind of media angle to, to Marlin fishing was really a, a part of the reason I moved to Hawaii was to try to do more stuff with, with video and, and photos and stuff like that. And you get shots of, you know, we're marlin fishing every day crystal so. clear it's beautiful yeah it's clear clear water yeah you know as far as gopro videos and stuff it's calm water where you're not you know it's a whole different deal when you're six to eight foot seas trying to you know get a shot of anything when it's slick calm like it is every day in kona you know we're able to get a lot more shot you know quality shots off too so that definitely helps being there um but yeah so probably yeah 12 13 years that i've been shooting photos but really not like seriously in the past really four years since i've been out in kona what so that's really what brought you to uh to kona um the shortest version of that story is uh i was was in the film industry working on like movies and tv shows really based out of north carolina um we got moved or we lost some tax incentives um in north carolina and the show i was on was a fox tv show at the time and we moved to Atlanta and that was the first time I'd ever been landlocked and, you know, we were six hours away from the ocean. So I went from being able to, okay, I can at least get my fix on the weekends and, you know, times between shows to being there and kind of going nuts a little bit. So, uh, I, I was kind of ready to get back on the water full time. And, um, 
started reaching out to people from Africa to Costa Rica and Hawaii. And uh, the guy that I fished with, uh, Chris Donato, he was in Samoa uh, at the time. And I just saw a Marlin Magazine article where they had, he had a surf resort there where they had waves there and they had, they were catching big blue Marlin. He had just caught a, the first grander out of Samoa at the time. Um, so I kind of reached out to him just like, look, man, I'll come over there and work for free for a bit. If you want, we'll see how it goes. I'll shoot photos or whatever, be second crew. And, uh, he was in the process of trying to move the boat to Kona. And so we ended up meeting up in Florida and, um, and got along good. You know, we both kind of had the same idea. He was really into catching big blue Marlin and that's pretty much it, you know, where he's like, look, we're not really doing much tuna fishing, mahi fishing, stuff like that. We're, you know, really trying to just catch big, big blue Marlin, you know, day in and day out. And, um, so we kind of got together and I helped him with moving the boat from Samoa. We have a fish on a 37 Merit that we moved from Samoa to Kona and I moved over to Hawaii. I think that was, I think we met up in like February or March and I moved out to Kona in beginning of July. Boat got there in October and yeah, I fished with some other guys till, till our boat got there, but yeah, so moved out there. I'd never been to Hawaii before or anything and uh, <laughs> yeah, we just went straight away couple of suitcases and and yeah i've been there pretty much since or at least based out of there since that's so sick so that is. yeah so that's kind of the the shortest version of a really long <laughs> story of you know how i ended up from from north carolina to kona that's great it's also a good lesson for a lot of uh a lot of kids like trying to get into it or looking for a new opportunity just being persistent and Loc- yeah, locations just, half the battle and, too. And knowing what your skills are. I mean, you had a you had a good skill set being able to take photos. I mean, you're also a, a mean mate as well. So, you know, you, you get who doesn't want a professional photographer on their boat and then you show up and then you also are, you know, a good fisherman. It's like turnkey. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and that and that's really been it's helped me out a lot in Kona, just shooting photos, you know. It's like such a I mean, just like a lot of places can be the same way here or anywhere where you know, it's a close knit group and it's kind of hard to break in sometimes, you know, and nobody really wants you just a random, somebody random on the boat. Oh, can I ride along? Like maybe you can get that sometimes, but you know, but then all oh, you're bringing a camera and you take good photos and get photos of the fish and everybody, you know, everybody has to have their social media pages and websites and everything else. So they need content for. So the camera is kind of a nice key to get on the boat, you know? So pretty much, you know, there's tons of really good guys I've fished with in Kona that, you know, anytime I, that's how I got in with Sean and Mike and I fished together. Um, I was basically second crew for Mike. Um, when I first got to Kona, that's kind of how I got to know him. And, uh, yeah, then I took over kind of as the only mate on our boat. Mike went to go where he was running the night runner and, um, his captain and crew, um, some as both and uh yeah so that's that's how i got in with those guys and you know and a bunch of other people you know you just show up we're not fishing i try to jump on with somebody else because it's it's tough for me that's a that's the toughest part is kind of the fishing takes the first priority for me so it's like you know leader in a fish or doing whatever we have to do rigging wise and then the photos if i get a chance after that so when i jump on with other guys i can just focus on taking pictures you know yeah that's sweet so what's the so what's the the whole program with uh, with Chris all about? I guess kind of give us a a lowdown that. I mean, we we know it's a thirty seven merit and stuff. And yep. I I didn't get the the pleasure of meeting Chris while I was there. I was just there for a too short of a time period. But he seems yeah. like a great guy. Yeah, yeah, good dude. Yeah, he fished uh, he fished in Samoa for 
a good while. He had a, a center console, then a Cabo, and then he got that Merit down there. Um, did some really good fishing there, and then was kind of just ready to move to a little bit more civilization than Western Samoa. So ended up in in Kona, um, and uh, yeah, but we do fish the thirty seven Merit. It's uh, called the Benchmark it's, uh, Merit Hole Number Five. So it was built in nineteen fifty nine. So definitely crazy classic piece That's of sick. Uh, history it's right a there. Sick it's been, boat, dude. Yeah, it's a sick boat. Yeah, and that thing's been everywhere from. He bought it. It was in Virginia Beach when he bought it. It's fished down the East Coast. I think Venezuela at some point. It was in Bimini and all that kind of during the early Merit days. Um, he had it, obviously, in Samoa. And then, yeah, when we were shipping it, it had to go through Australia. So there's not many boats that have been in as much water as, as that thing has, you know. Uh, but, yeah, we fish. Uh, like I said, our main thing is blue marlin. We'll catch some – we catch a lot of spear fish mixed in this time of year, catch striped marlin. Um We'll do, you know, you get an occasional, our, our meat fish are kind of bycatch for us. We'll catch some big ahis, you know, we've caught, caught them up to close to 200 pounds and, um, you know, you get some other stuff mixed in, but we're kind of looking for big fish day in, day out, you know, all through the year. We can catch blue marlin there all throughout the year. Um, we pull pretty much all one thirties. We'll have some bait and switch charters or something sometimes where we'll, you know, do something scale down to some smaller gear that we can switch to kind of based off the size of the fish. But most of the time, 95, 99% of the time we're pulling one thirties every day, 530 pound leader, big lures, mostly all lure fishing. Um, like I said, we'll pull some bait sometimes just switching, but, and occasionally pull a live bait if, if the situation's right. But the typical Kona program is, is pulling four or five lures every yeah. day. Um, so that's, that's basically what we're doing and trying to, you know, blue marlin fishing each day. What's prime time for a big, big fish. I mean, I know you can catch a blue marlin any, you can catch a thousand pound blue marlin there any day of the year, really. Yes. It's the only place in the world that they've caught a thousand pounder every calendar month of the year. Um, so, you know, you literally can catch one, at least, you know, the opportunities there, there'll be a big one seen every month, you know, um, I would say for a big fish. March, April is always a nice run of fish. It was actually popped up on my like timeline today that it, last year, this time we caught one that it's like 750, 800 pounder. We let go, um, last year. Um, so that was what, April 8th or whatever it is. Um, but, uh, yeah. And then I caught last year. I also had like a 680 that we had in, uh, late, I think like April 20th or something. Uh, but I've also had big fish June. Most of our tournaments are June, July. Um, so we've had a lot of big fish then. Um, a couple of years ago, that summertime was kind of firing for big ones. Last year, it was a lot more in the spring. Spring and you get a little run in the fall too. But I always tell people like the prime time is kind of March to September. Yeah. Uh, but any given day there, you know, it's really the thing. We got a lot of numbers last year. Um, a lot of smaller fish in the summer. Um, but every year is a little bit different, but there were some nice ones caught in the winter too. You know, you, there, you could have a day in January. That's just as good as a day in July, you know, yeah. that's supposed to be the, the prime of it. So it's just a matter of getting out there. I think the most special thing about that place is the fact that you're literally putting the spread out at the bell buoy for the most part. Oh, it's, it's like, yeah, it's how far to, how far to like, I don't know, a hundred fathom. So the hundred fathom, you're pretty much. I mean, I would say that buoy that we go past. Once you once you cross that, once so you're probably 
600 yards offshore or so, and you're getting into that 100-fathom range, as soon as you cross the point at Kaivi, we're putting lures in the water. Like I always tell people, I snap all the lures on, put all the leaders on snap swivels, and put some sunscreen on, and I'm throwing the first lure out. You know, I'm putting the stinger out there. And if you put it out too early, you might catch a wahoo or something and have it. Dude, imagine imagine trolling for wahoo at like the break wall in situate harbor that's Uh, what it is sean sent like we used to facetime daily for a while and you know he'd be catching wahoo and shit like that the rocks would be right there oh yeah yeah you're looking at the rocks i mean or you can throw a baseball and smack them. you know i mean it's it's ridiculous you know and then pretty much if you look at least right off kaivi and parts of those areas if you look at like the international three mile line you're that's pretty much where the uh thousand fathom line is there so you're looking at 6,000 feet at three miles. And for most of that close into Kona coast. Um, so yeah, anywhere from not even a half mile out to, to three miles. And the last, the last big fish that I caught before I left, um, this past winter, we caught like a 600 pounder that I was clearing lines. I only had my two corner baits left in the water. And I thought I was about to yell at the charter thinking he was reeling my stuff in on the right side. I heard the drag go off and then look and there's like a 600 pounder jumping behind the boat and uh gene see genie's right behind us they're doing the same thing and they see a stop and then the fish jumps like you know 100 feet from his boat and you see him make a <laughs> perpendicular <laughs> turn away like oh shit you know you see him at the back at the uh harbor and he's like man i thought that was a weird place for you guys just to sit still and pull your stuff in and i saw that fish jump out of the water <laughs> You know, so it's like two lines left in the water, literally about to pull them in for the day. And yeah, you catch a nice one right there. That's so, sick. That Sean, yeah. Sean yelled at me uh, the second day there. Like we got that spearfish like down by one of the uh, one of the buoys like to the south, I want to say. Uh-huh. And yeah. um, we pulled that fish off of there. We had like one other cheap bite there and probably another spearfish. We came back and then we live bait fished around that. Um, what is it like an amberjack like cage? Or what's that like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they've got they've got um uh, compaches in there, which is like a almaco jack, pretty yeah. much. And uh, yeah, it's like a big cage and fish feeder thing that they have there. So, um, the so big fish farm operation. Yeah, it was crazy. It's and, just a big fat out there, basically. Yep, pretty much. So we we saw a couple mahi there, and there was like massive, massive shoals of uh, opelu, like kind of like like you can we're marking them probably I don't know hundred two three hundred feet down. Yeah, and um. Like we pulled a couple of mahi off of that, and then Sean's like, "All right, let's wrap it up." So like, I'm like un like the lures were like on deck or like in those like little um like compartments on the bulkhead on either side. You know how he has those on the boat, like where people would store like gaffs or you know whatever else. Yeah. So like I, I start like unclipping lures and like you know coiling them up, and he's like, "What the fuck are you doing?" <laughs> I'm like, "You said we're going home." He goes, "We're gonna troll from here to the buoy." And like yeah. it, that, it would be like trolling from like uh, it'd be like trolling from like the tar pouch buoy like up where we live to the 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 SA buoy to the entrance to Situate Harbor. Yeah, and that that is and there's it. And there's bu- there. yeah, right. it's just like a, a totally sick, different like, world, totally different world. Like yeah. you would just oh. hook t- hook time there is maximized more than any other place I've ever seen. Oh yeah, if you book an eight-hour charter or a ten-hour, whatever it is, like you're fishing for eight hours or ten hours or twelve hours or whatever, you know, it's not like you're running. I mean, that, yeah, that for was us, it's an hour. For us, it's a minimum yeah. of an hour to catch anything over thirty pounds. Yeah, you know. Yeah, same yeah. same for North Carolina. You know, it's like that's that's a 
part that was such a trip to me is moving out there from growing up on the East Coast is, you know, I'd fish Florida and stuff like that where, you know, you can catch sails really close. And that was a trip. But when you when you go catch, you know, you can catch a blue marlin right outside of the of the harbor. You know, you can have people standing on the shore literally watching you fight fish. It's uh, yeah, it's always it's it's extra fun for me to take people out from the East Coast that are used to running two, three hours, you know, going out to the canyons, whatever. And they're just so tripped out. They're like, oh, you guys putting lines in here? Just trying to save fuel or what? And then you get a bite <laughs> yeah. right there. And oh, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah. It, that, yeah. Hawaii is just truly a, a special place, man. It's like. I mean, I'm sure you definitely have seen another side of it, you know, being that you live there longer and, you know, it's pretty much a, you know, primary residence for you at this point. But yeah, I tell people, you know, I only went there the one time and Taylor's been there as well. He spent some time on Kauai, but it's one of the only places in the world that like you, you literally land or, you know, you you drive a mile from the airport or, or do one thing and you're like, I could live here. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, it's the only, it's, only place I've traveled that I could feel comfortable just like buying a car, buying a house, and let's go. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. It's it's like you get you get all the like kind of U.S. comforts. It doesn't feel like you're in the United States. You know, right. you still have that kind of like tropical feel, and like you're kind of outside. I mean, you are. You're three thousand miles away from anything. You know, so yeah, you get that. But then you get big fish. You get if you want to go hike up in the mountains and stuff, you know, food's amazing. Volcanoes. Yeah. Food's great. You know, I mean, it's, it's expensive, but it's not any worse than probably any big city, you know? Yeah. It's it's not that bad. Yeah. Yeah. It's not terrible. You know, people are cool. Um, you know, especially Kona, Kona's more, you know, the big Island is a lot more laid back than I like Kauai a lot too, but you know, Oahu's pretty busy and, and, and a little crazy, you know, you got a million people on that, island that's like a quarter of the size of the big island and i think we have like maybe a hundred thousand people um but yeah so it's spaced out and still you know you got areas you can go not see anybody for a long time when you're hiking and stuff too so it's it's if you're if you're uh you don't even have to be like an avid big game or offshore person like if you have any sort of passion for it whatsoever and you have a family it is like yeah. it's like the one of the perfect places to go. If you can rent a house, there's so much to do, like the hiking just and you can just do it all under your own schedule and and time and 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 it doesn't have to be guided. It's not a tour. It's just just yeah. do a little bit of research and there's just so much to do there. It's easy. It's yeah. not like a third world country that you're Yeah. You know, worried about where you're going, where you're eating, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. It's just, it's like being here, but it's just tropical and like you're on vacation every day. Yeah, weather is always know? awesome. You right. know, it's rare for it to rain anywhere around like the lower elevations, especially, you know. I mean, up higher, it'll rain every day, you know, in the coffee farms and stuff. But, but yeah, it's, I mean, if you're taking a family there, if you want to take, if you, if you're fishing and you, you want to take your, your wife or your kids or something who gets seasick, it's like, you know, it's literally slick calm. 90% of the time. So, I mean, you get another thing that trips you out out there is you'll see 13 foot Boston whalers out there pulling eighties and one thirties, you know, yeah. and it's catching insane. Marlin, catching giant ahis and whatever, you know, and it's like, they're out there every day yeah. you know, in little boats that I wouldn't take across an inlet here, you know, let alone out in the ocean. And, you know, they're out there <laughs> catching That's Marlin nuts. on it. It's such a trip, man. Jet skis, kayaks, whatever. Yeah, it's so, incredible. So, yeah. so staying on the topic of of cool places fish. So, Joe and I had this this uh, running joke. He so 
fast forward a year or two. Was it a year or two years? A, two, uh, a year. We went in 2018, then PEI 2019. Yeah, that's right. Um, so he ended up coming to, if you listen to the podcast, you know that Taylor and I fish up in PEI every year and have been for the last 10 plus years. So Joe came with us last time and you could not like, it was like X's and O's. You go from Kona being able to fish 300 days a year, like clear 80 degree water, like no wind. And the first, the first day, the first day he shows up, we're in like six to eight, we're pulling a double header off of another boat going oh, going stern to stern and and we we get the rod we get uh, Timmy all set up in the chair and tight and Joe is like still trying to figure out like he's still trying to figure out like what happened i go just like kona baby <laughs> and the and the whole time we're just we, like it would be gnarly or like cold or like we fight down and tight fighting a big fish and be like just like kona it's like oh it's just just kona it's just typical kona weather <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, so I uh, bought like four hundred dollars worth of Under Armour. It was worth was it like, though, oh, wasn't it? My tropical glass is gonna freeze out. Yeah. There. Oh, totally worth it. Yeah. Totally oh. worth it. Oh man, yeah. It was. Yeah, Brian had had told me when we were out when he was out in Kona. You know, he's like, oh man, we do a trip out to PEI every year. You know, it's like, yeah, if you guys guys ever want to come out there, I was like, oh man, I've been wanting to get out there for a minute. You know, I used to bluefin tuna fish here and stuff, and. It's like, man, I've been wanting to get out there. Like, oh, don't invite me unless you want me to show up. I'll show up. You know, everybody, <laughs> you go places. I'm like, oh, man, you guys come out to Kona. And they're like, yeah, yeah. Nobody, you know, people won't come. But it's like, man, I'll, I'll come out there. Yeah, so. he will. If you invite Joe somewhere, he'll be there. <laughs> yeah, and he'll take, and he'll take sick photos when he's there, too. <laughs> but so, uh, yeah, it worked out. Yeah, I was stoked that it worked out where, you know, yeah, Brian and I stayed in touch. And, you know, it was, uh, yeah, epic trip, though. I mean, the fun. weather. Yeah, we, we got... Definitely didn't catch the best weather up there, no. but uh, I mean, I had fun in rough weather for, you know, it's like, oh, I've been in the calm for a little bit. I need to know that I can still hang when it's yeah. <laughs> a little bit gnarly. Right, how, get, how rough was it? Dude, the first day was six to eight, and then the second day we, the second, because he, he, fished, he fished an extra day, he came early, and the crew before had good weather, and they were like fished out. Like we got our limits every day, and and they and they had their their girlfriends with them too. So right. like you know they they basically like took it easy on the last day. Yeah. So I was able to sneak uh, Joe on a day early. We actually were at uh, Fisherman's Bank trying to fish the herring there. We got out to Fisherman's Bank in the morning. It's so like a fifteen and a half mile run from the harbor we were in. There is no herring in the net. Like no, not marking fish in the first hour. We picked up, ran all the way back to North Lake, and it was like starting to get rough out of the northwest. And we get there. There was a savage bite in the morning that we missed. Like everyone had one or two. We like totally oh. missed out. So we, so we got. I'm like, I'm like, well, I'm like, at least we're uh, we're not breaking them in like the easy way. So we run whatever thirty miles. It's almost better there not to get one the first yeah. day. Yeah. So we ran thirty miles. Went from Fisherman's Bank back to North Lake Harbor and then uh, did a couple drifts. It was starting to get gnarly. Troy goes, I'm double, come get one. And like I heard this on the radio and I'm like, I'm like, wind him in. And like Joe and I were like just starting to like get acquainted with like how we set baits and stuff and like just learning the program. <laughs> right. I'm like, get the shit in. So uh, we like clear everything super fast. And like I can see the look on his face, like like he's like, What the fuck is going on? <laughs> yeah. Oh. 
I had no, I'm to, uh, so I'm thinking, all I heard was I heard that Troy had a double. And so I'm like, we're pulling them in quick. And I'm like, oh, they're on a school. We're going to go go up to wherever they are and just drop right there or something, you know? Nah. You didn't know nah, you're getting pitched a rod. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we're hauling ass up there. It's starting to get nautical out there. And, uh, yeah, we pull up. And I'm just like, all right, I'm just going to stand back. Cause there's, there's a lot of shit happening right now. I don't know. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, they, then there's a 130 coming over the rail. You know, with upside 14 down foot, tip first, 14 foot rods I use, you know, over there <laughs> compared to what I'm used to. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah, tip first. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, Blair's grabbing it and he's like, oh, shit, it's burning my hands. <laughs> grabs the line on the roller. And I was like, oh, okay, now we're just passing over a 650 pound fish <laughs> on a 130 in like six to eight. So, yeah, no big deal. Yeah, we got Super it done though. Yeah. Oh no, it went as smooth as that can go. Oh I mean, yeah. Was, uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, props to those boys. Oh for, yeah. Yeah, it's wild. The shit out of those boats. Yeah. Yeah. So we we got that fish. That was his first day fishing. That's sick. <laughs> and then second, yeah. the second day we got one in the morning, like uh, six fifty, six hundred, six fifty. Joe wired that one, and then. Um, and then it was quiet for most of the day. It was like kind of like a greasy day. And then we had like 10 fish come on the screen. And Jamie hand fed one, pulled the hook, and then the close floater went down. And we fought that fish for a while and pulled the hook. And that was our second day. And then the third day, we got blown out. It was like gnarly. And uh, the next day was supposed to be kind of get gnarly too. And Jamie calls us at like four o'clock in the afternoon. He's like, Do you guys want to go tonight? We're like, uh, what do you mean tonight? Like, like, yeah. like, <laughs> what does that define, even mean? Yeah, define yeah. tonight. Like, go out to dinner. He goes. Or? He goes. I mean, like, yeah, where do we go he then? goes. I mean, get a bottle of rum, eat your dinner right now, and meet me down the boat. So, like, I go to the, all the boys. I like lay out the options. I'm like, this is our. Op- Here's option A. Before I even get to explain, they're like option A. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need to hear B. Oh yeah. <laughs> And yeah, uh, there, there was no hesitation on that from any of that. Dude, that's savage. Yeah. And then we left at like six. We got back to Fisherman's Banks. So then we ran back from North Lake to the bank. We got there at like nine o'clock at night, pulled up to like, there were a couple herring boats looking around, couldn't find any herring. And they found like one little square to herring there, which little is like a big amount of herring, yeah. but like not enough for them to set on. Right. So they pieced out and we had it all to ourselves. And we were getting ready to set our net, and uh, and then Jamie's like, "Oh, I got one on the screen." So we just started like we just started throwing chum. We literally had one one on the screen. That was at one. And we were started throwing chum and like tried working a live mac, and he wasn't eating the live mac. And then hats off to my wife. She put Claire's. Yeah, Claire's. So Claire <laughs> likes to write on Claire's sandwich. Claire, Claire's snacks, dude. Claire's snacks. Snack, snack. So she likes to write on our lunches and stuff, like oh, little yeah. smiley I've faces. Seen it all. So perfect handwriting. We had two herring. Yeah. Out, we had two herring out of the net from the day before. That of course I saved because I'm a bait hoarder. And uh, you're a bait whore. A bait whore. Yeah. I put them in Claire's snacks Ziploc, and like we can't get this fish to eat. And I remembered. I was like, I have two herring in the in the tank. So I like go over, open the Ziploc, rig up a flutter herring. Jamie puts it down immediately gets smoked we're probably working lines for like three minutes we get that fish that fish is probably like 700 or so and then uh we pulled back up on the drift had one fish on the screen again one snack left 
Yeah, and one he, snack. He, <laughs> he ate it out of my hand at like 90 feet, like not like visual, like, you know, was way down in the chum. Mm-hmm. And then Byram, we all looked at him. We're like, you're getting in the chair, dude. You know, you get to, <laughs> you, you watch your clients day in and day out fighting big fish what, in the chair. Have you ever fought one in the chair before uh, that? Not, well, I fought a tuna in the chair a while back here. But yeah, that was the, that was the first, definitely first the big one, one that I fought. Yeah, well, what, was that, one, what was that like compared to a blue marlin? Like, would you, it was, it was definitely more, just more straight power, you yeah. know, it, where it's just pulling like, so I had it. <laughs> well, I think well, I put it. <laughs> yeah. Tell us where the lever was on like yeah. after the first run though, dude. So that first run, the thing was just smoking. So I backed it down a little bit, you know, like that's what we do with the big blues yeah. and stuff is, you know, and a lot of times with the blue, you can back it down a little bit, you know, a big one, we'll go ahead and put 35 or more on it, you know, to try to try to go ahead and put pressure on it early but a lot of times with lighter drag will stay up in the water column you can ch- chase them down and get them a little faster but yeah this thing so we backed off of it at first it makes like a big run and i was like oh i'm gonna kick this fish's ass i'm <laughs> used to this chair fighting things like i'm gonna go ahead and put this i'm gonna max this thing out and, and fucking show these boys how to do it put that put the drag in the corner i don't know what it on a he was a, he had hand, hand pressure. He was probably at 75 to 80 pounds of drag. Like, oh. Im- dude, immediately after the first run, fish is not settled. It's all up on the surface. Yeah. You can't see it. It's in the middle of the dark. Right. Why not? Why not? Okay. He was like, yeah, I yeah. don't care. It's like, whatever. Let's push it up and see what happens. And what happened was <laughs> I was standing straight up with, with my hand on it, just getting my ass kicked out of the chair for the next like 35 minutes with full drag oh yeah i mean up to the boat where you're just like gaining a foot he's making his pinwheels and you know we're gaining a foot or two you know every time he'd make his turn and just a mean fucking fish man yeah Yeah. i mean it's just like i mean have you put that much heat on a blue marlin before uh not that much i I haven't put that much no no i haven't i've put i've put a lot you know 60 or more on them um you know but what you got to worry about there is that speed so much you know is if they take off just that line pressure yeah i mean there's fish that get broken off off the bite sometimes just because they'll just take off so fast um yeah your top shot's only what 130 or so right yeah yeah 130 it's always like and it's that straight amalon 130 so it's supposed to break at one 129 130 so right you know so you don't have a lot of you know, can't play with it a lot there. Um, but uh, yeah, that tuna was just like, just pure, pure power, man. Like yeah. it was, I was just like tripped out over how much it's just like, just lifting me up out of the seat and just like, nah, I can't do anything with this thing if I want to. Yeah. You know? We had the perfect so. crew for that night. It was like, cause everyone, oh, you guys everyone, called me in the middle of the night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We drank a handle of captains on the way there. We had to do something to like get past the fact that we're going to be up all night long. Yeah. And, um, but so, yeah, no, so how, did you great. catch a few or we got happened? two, we got two, the, like literally we soaked baits for maybe three to four minutes. We got two. One was like seven. One, we got like real good color on Pritch was on the wire and heavy drag. And we popped him off like eight feet away. He's probably like between six and seven, somewhere in there. And then Joe's fish, he got in 35 minutes full drag the one we're talking about and that that fish was like all of eight like i look back at the it's hard to tell in the videos at night because the light was so poor right but i have a couple shots like you know we're using 
we're using a handheld spotlight to light the fish up to get like footage and stuff. And yeah, the fish was yeah, legit. Yeah, because it's nighttime. It's it Yeah, <laughs> it was big. And they, they don't fish at night up there. I mean, there really isn't any reason to unless you're a herringbone and stuff. So they're not like, there's not like, you know, big lights. And they're and, not commercial fishing. So there's no need to like be hardcore. Exactly. So you like, yeah. you're literally, we're out there with a handheld spotlight and two like mini rigids for floodlights. And that was <laughs> yeah. it. We're just like, I've never been so Dark. out of the loop on where a tuna fish is in the ocean in my life. It's so a, weird. Such a trip where you're just looking into blackness, you know, and you're just like, all right, well, we've got some creature on the end of the line. <laughs> yeah. I know Jamie at some points on those like side throttles, he's like, yeah, we got to get another light on this boat. <laughs> yeah. oh it was amazing a great yeah, that was every, a great time the stoke was so high on the way out there it's like every you know we got all these guys that have fished all over and everybody's like going it's like everybody's going fishing for the first time yeah it's like, oh, so oh, excited just yeah. fucking amped you know oh, the yeah. whole time so it's like it's pretty cool to go out there like that you know when everybody's so pumped do something different you know that i mean yeah, catching giant tunas at night in Canada, you know. I mean, sometimes it's just meant to be though. Like, you know, not yeah. you know, not to not to like rate different crews and stuff, but like you might to have a less ex, a less experienced charter or crew, like they're going they're going away on from a 4-day trip with, you know, one release. You know, yeah. they they're not able to do the night thing or aren't game for it or whatever. So to be able to have a crew that's like willing to do that, it's like Yeah. It, it makes the trip like you'll never forget that you know oh no totally totally it was i mean it's definitely a highlight for me you know and it's you know yeah you got to have the right people it's even you know just from a safety standpoint even you know that are comfortable yeah. with going out there and, and trying to catch a giant tuna at nighttime you know it's not everybody's <laughs> you know trying to do that yeah exactly so um when we were up there one other fishery i want to talk to you about and then I want we want to talk about lures because Taylor and I are obsessed with lures, and I think a, yeah, lot, yeah. a lot of people that listen to this like don't understand how dialed in even with lures you have to be. Um, but the, but first, I want to just you fished the Great Barrier Reef. Yeah, yeah, I did one one season out there in um, twenty seventeen. Yeah, October. I think it was October twenty seventeen that. Uh, I was out there. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, fished. Yeah. That was another kind of like bucket list thing where, you know, I told guys that I'd met in Hawaii that had fished out there. Like, look, if you need a second crew, if you need somebody to shoot photos, yeah, well, the anything, guy. Yeah. you know, let me know, give me a shout. I don't give a shit what, how much money I make, whatever. Just I'll pay my way out there. And, uh, so yeah, my buddy Kenton gear, who's, uh, fishes with us in a lot of tournaments uh out in hawaii and uh does a lot of commercial tuna fishing out there he invited me out uh to be his second crew um a guy named brad Kraft, who's been a captain on the reef for 30 34 35 years something like that um for a long time and anyway we fished on a boat called the kiyama and then the daipkin um and then we uh were on another black watch for a for a tournament later but uh yeah man i mean it was it was up to, we did kind of like a half season. We didn't, the bite, the really good bite that year was kind of September. The season's really September to December. And we started in October. Um, so we kind of missed the early uh, run of big ones. But it's, I mean, it's just like Jurassic Park, just like what you hear about pretty much. You know, I think the third day that I was out there, we went 
we decided to pull lures. It was slick calm, uh, which isn't always the case out there. And uh, we caught, I think we were three from six. We pulled hook on a grander that we were going to stick gaffs in probably 60 feet from the leader or so. I mean, it fought it for 45 minutes and had it right up there. I got a bunch of shots of it fully out of the water. I've seen the photos. They're pretty incredible. Yeah, super dog pulling a wake behind it, just like blasting out of the water behind the fish. I mean, it looked, it wasn't a million pounder, but it was probably 10, 10, 50, something like that. Um, Definitely the biggest fish that I've seen. Um, One of those, you know, it jumps, does like three fully out jumps right off the bite and mental short corner bite, you know, left short uh, on a uh, Marlin Magic Super Dog. And it comes out and everybody on the boat's just like, holy shit, (laughs) that's a real one. So everybody sees the bite, everybody sees everything. And, um, yeah, that we pulled hook on that fish, but you know, it's just like they say there, it's like, you know, you're not, if I pulled hook on that fish in Kona, you're just like, can't sleep for a month, you know? And over there you're like, Oh, we might catch one the next day. And we caught, I think we, we tagged a 900 either the next day or the following. I think it was the next day, maybe one, one day later. But, uh, yeah, man, I think we caught our season, I said it was short, but we caught 18 or 20 blacks, a um, couple blue marlin. We did a seamount trip out really wide, like 80 miles offshore, caught some blues, uh, got into some of the roughest weather that I've ever marlin fished in. Um, but yeah, dead bait program, you know, you're pulling, we pulled wahoos, we pulled, you know, your typical <laughs> setup. Is, uh, what, what, was crazy, the big, what was the biggest bait you pulled? dead bait uh probably like 30 pounds or so we had a wow. rig we didn't pull it very often we pulled a big um i think it was probably like a big what they call a spanish mackerel which is like kind of similar to our king it's like mackerel. a queen it's like a queen mackerel or something right? or a queen fish yeah it's yeah there, there's queen fish the queen fish is an awesome bait that's okay so it's different insane there. Yeah. on the stinger yeah yeah the queen fish is different they're uh they're spanish mackerel i guess it's like a narrow barred mackerel i think i'm saying that right um but yeah it's i mean they get up to i've caught them 60 pounds or so over there and yeah we had one that was like 30 pounds or so that i got a couple pictures of with a big circle hook hanging off its head you know and people catch the biggest fish they've ever caught and then we'll rig it up you know it's uh it's kind of a trip where you typical thing is like a a scaly uh mackerel on kind of your short bait and then like a scad basically similar to uh like a big boston mackerel type uh, type bait that's a swim bait on the right side um kind of your middle distance and then um your long is usually like a tuna it's what we pulled um but yeah it's big fish big baits i mean the meat fish if you just went wahoo fishing out there you'd i mean it'd be mental you know it's almost like a problem you get chopped a lot you know wow. just by wahoo bites and how fast are you trolling these baits um these usually baits. Yeah, like three, three to four knots. Yeah, yeah, pretty. Yeah, sometimes you'll get up to like six or so. It just depends on the sea conditions more than anything. Um, You're adjusting a lot of times because you're if it's rough, like it is a lot of times. um, You know, early there especially, you're going up and down. So you're going up sea, down sea. We're fishing dropbacks, and so it's you're you're trying to go as fast as you can keep the bait looking right and keep the the uh lines in the rigger clips too right because that's the thing when it's really rough you're just sitting in the corners the whole day pulling the drop backs clipping them back up putting them up and then they're out again so yeah it's a i mean it's probably the most about the most work i've ever done fishing you know where you're just constantly rigging you're constantly you know just 
trying to, like I said, checking the drop backs, checking baits, whatever it is, you know, but I mean, it's second to none for, if you like to catch big fish, I mean, that's the, that's a place. And then you're, the whole program was staying inside, you know, you anchor inside the reef at night. So that's where you're staying. So you can, you know, sometimes we'll fish at night if we're in an area that's not like a green zone where you can fish and you'll catch like big snappers and stuff, all kinds of stuff that, I mean, I had no idea what anything was half the time coming over the rail at, <laughs> at, at the night. It's like, oh, you know, Charter's like, oh, what's that? Like, oh, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. And, and you know, you're cooking stuff like that that you catch. We, we'd always like, if we caught a tuna, we'd sashimi it up. You know, if we caught a snapper, we'd cook it for dinner. You're also cooking breakfast, lunch, dinner. The captain and crew are. We were doing liveaboards. Wow. Yeah. Um, if you if you got the money, people are doing the mothership program. But I think that's like ten grand a day Seriously. or so. Yeah, yeah. It's and fu- then, it's uh. What were you telling me? You said that you were telling me last time we were together that the Great Barrier Reef program is like a hybrid between Kona and Prince Edward Island. Yeah, yeah. That's probably it's a pretty good like comparison you know i think because you get like the rough water and the kind of dead bait elements and stuff of of the pei thing um you know you're trolling you're doing like the your marlin fishing like kona and, and pulling lures there works there's more and more guys that are doing that either going out wide early in the day uh, kind of sunsets like the magic hour there where you're 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 picking your best baits out right around sunset and it just feels like you're gonna get smashed anytime there um during that kind of like magic hour right at the end of the day yeah um but yeah we caught we caught a lot of fish on lures too um but everybody kind of goes there for the for the bait the dead bait program um but yeah you get the the rough water and And the big fish the people are a little similar yeah the the people you know (laughs) it's like it's just super fishy like you're going there to fish you know and uh so you get that of like the PEI experience, you know, and staying kind of close quarters with everybody. And, um, you know, it's like a, a week or, you know, you can't just go there for like a day charter. You yeah. know what I mean? It's, it's you're going for multiple days, um, kind of similar to PEI. You know, you don't want to go there with no weather window, you yeah. know, so and just go fish a day. But, yeah, it's, it's kind of a, a mix of both and then its own totally different thing at the same time. So, yeah, it's that I mean. I've been bummed that I couldn't make it there the last couple of years, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm gonna get back there as as soon as I can. Maybe the sure. th- maybe the three of us will find ourselves. Oh out there. Jesus! I'm I'm down with that, man. We <laughs> could, we could, we can make that a good time. That'd be hilarious. It's, uh, yeah, it's uh, oh man, yeah, you got to check that out. It's it's, it's the last it's hard. Black Marlin's the last billfish that. Uh, you know, it's it's not official or anything, but that's the last billfish my wife and I have to get to get them all. To get them all, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a good excuse to go, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. You could go do Panama or something, but might as well just go ahead and send it and go straight down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> You're gonna do it, do it. You know? Yeah, uh, I mean, we caught a black there bait fishing inside the reef. You know, like that's the crazy thing is like we're pulling uh, what they call a helco down there. It's like their brand, but it's basically a Rapala. You know, it's like a six or eight inch Rapala trying yep. to catch little tunas, little mackerels and stuff for bait. And I see like a bill pop out of the water. And I was like, was that? And boom, eats it, jumps one time. And it's like a 40 pound black marlin. And That's so crazy. that was, yeah, that was the first black that I actually caught on rod and reel. We had these two guys who didn't want to, they didn't come out of the the salon unless it was the black marlin, you know? So I opened the door. It's like, oh man, hey, you got, we got a marlin on. You guys want it? 
they looked, saw it jump. They're like, nah, we're good. Shut the door. <laughs> <laughs> like, All, All right. right. I'll take it. <laughs> so I grabbed the TLD and it's like this, you know, like I said, it's just like a Rapala. It's got three treble hooks hanging off of it. So we get this little crazy 40 pound black marlin. In oh, the back treble hooks in it. Great. Oh, dude, that's what Crafty's like. Boys, that's a good one, man. I want that Helco back. I want that lure back. <laughs> uh, all right, we're trying to figure out what we're going to do. Things going ape shit. Trying to hit hit the hooks with the gaff so we don't have to get close to it. Finally, we open the door. We're like, all right, we're going to bring this thing in <laughs> oh and try to take God. it out. <laughs> Which would have been a terrible idea. Thank God the hooks popped out right before we got it through the door. <laughs> Uh, it didn't slam anybody in the face. Let's pull this. Let's pull this live live animal yeah. with a sword on his face. <laughs> Great idea. <laughs> with three hugs flying all over, so we can get uh, this eight dollar lure back. Yeah, you know uh, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, luckily that didn't come to pass. But I was like, all right, yep, we're doing this, huh? Yep, we're gonna pull this crazy <laughs> little fish on the boat. So, well, sp- speaking of lures. Yeah, um, I, you know, you knew we had to get to this to this. Oh uh, yeah, this part in this conversation at, at some point. So of course, one thing I learned when I was there was in Kona. In Kona, right? When I was in Kona, the way that they, you guys, and pretty much everyone there fishes lures. The only way I can describe it to you know, like northeast fishermen or giant tuna fishermen or whatever is. Imagine the care that you take with like live bait leaders for bluefin, you know, fluorocarbon hooks and, and all that and apply the, the same attention to detail, even more attention to detail because you're trying to make something that's not even close to, doesn't even smell, doesn't like, even a fish. smell like a fish, <laughs> look like a fish. Right. It doesn't make sense that anything would eat it really. Exactly. You know? So that, that was like watching you guys how you stored the lures and just like you know i i know taylor and i know quite like a little bit about head shapes and what pulls in different weather conditions and you know rigor position and that sort of thing but can you kind of like just describe just i guess the the basics i mean the the four to five rod you know kona lure spread just to kind of paint a picture for everybody Yep. So what, what we pull, um, Chris and I on the benchmark, a lot of times we'll pull, um, uh, typically pulling five on most charters. Uh, we will, we'll go four sometimes. Um, especially looking for a big fish, we'll take that stinger out. Uh, just because sometimes it gets in the, you'll catch smaller fish on that. And I've this, had plenty of big ones. And the stinger, sorry to interrupt, but the stingers on the center rigger, like yep, back that's a, in the that's middle like of the a shotgun. Yep. 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 Back. Back in the middle. Um, so we're usually pulling our um, left short is usually like our, what we'll, they'll call over there a short corner. So that'll be your shortest lure. Uh, we're usually pulling that on about the third wave. Uh, then we'll go fourth fourth wave for the uh, right short. Um, we'll do the left long is going to be on like the fifth wave. And the right long is going to be usually on the sixth. And you'll have your stinger, your shotgun on like the around about the ninth or so. Um, and you kind of adjust it to the boat. Um, we're also pulling two teasers where we'll have a uh, we'll have a dredge on the left side on the short side. Uh, kind of in just just outside the prop wash, but really going into the water around the first wave. Artificial dredge. Out. Yeah, artificial dredge, what we're pulling every day. We don't mess with trying to rig. It's not really worth like doing the sailfish thing of, of rigging like a mullet dredge or anything. Uh, we've experimented with that a lot. Anything from squid skirts to uh, we're typically running like the Marlin mud flap kind of deal. Um, sometimes some like rubber, um, almost like the shad shad body um, mm-hmm. plastics, 
in there just to have a little bit more action. Um, the right side um, in front of the, uh, the short bait on the right, we usually run a spreader bar that we're typically pulling some of the smaller mud flaps with. And then in the back, uh, what we had the best luck this year was with a black bark uh, lunch teaser. It's just a giant monstrosity of a lure heads probably. I mean, just the head is probably 12 inches long. And, that's what she uh, said. <laughs> <laughs> that's the guy. Uh, that's, the, that, that's the teaser she tells you not to worry that's, about. That's the teaser. <laughs> that's the teaser she doesn't tell you about. <laughs> yeah. What was it called? The lunch? The lunch. Black the lunch? lunch. Yeah, don't yeah, worry about the lunch, lunch, honey. <laughs> yeah, don't worry. Lunch is taken care of. Uh, uh, don't disappear for lunch, babe. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'll see you after lunch. <laughs> see you after lunch. No, you won't. Uh, that, that lunch was getting crushed by like small, like 80 pound fish would come up. I mean, they're, they're you know, Ruthless. a bill as long as the, yeah. yeah, it didn't matter. You know, everybody sees it and you're like, oh, nothing's going to eat that. It's not 800 pounds. And nah, it doesn't matter. 80 pound fish comes and charges it and goes nuts on it. And that's the thing with those lures. A lot of people, you know, I think get too bogged down and, oh, that's too big, you know, whatever. And you do, you'll have more numbers um, a lot of times on a smaller lure. But I've had small fish eat, you know, I've had spearfish eat the big, you know, black bark, like the uh, blue breakfast or anything, you know, which is like a 14 inch lure. So, yeah. uh, but we're pretty much pulling our short bait. Um, a lot of different things. We'll pull a smash bait, a uh, lure smash bait. Um, a koi poi dog it's one of my favorites there um the smash and the poi dog are probably two of the best some of the marlin magics like the big ruckus or the big uh xl henry something like that so that's your left um, your left short that's where you're running our, those lures yep our left short usually is going to be your biggest lure um yeah. you know so you're kind of going to go from closest into the boat to farthest out you're going to go biggest closest to the boat and go smaller as you get away from the boat um, a lot of that's action. Um, you know, those bigger lures um, will will just get better action up close to the boat. Um, it's a lot more visual too, and you want. I like to have something big like that right behind those teasers, just because if you have big stuff in your teasers, it one it pulls it away from the dredge. You don't want that fish in that dredge. We've got them on electrics, but you don't want to have a big fish all tangled up in the dredge. So you want something that's big enough to take their attention away from that dredge. Um, or that spreader bar that they go after and they're kind of looking for a straggler anyway so you'll i've had some small i've had fish get into the dredge but typically they're going to try to pick out the the single thing that's swimming behind it yeah which is which is that lure um the other side will run kind of similar lures on the on the short on the right short um our our main thing has been a black bar blue breakfast um chris caught his grander on that over in samoa and um and so it's that's what's in the water a lot of times. Um, a tantrum tube, I'll run on either the long or short corner, um, or a kaboom a tantrum. Uh, my buddy Nick Durham makes uh, tantrum lures. He's out of Australia, but lives in Kona, and his stuff is is really really good. Um, his X, XXL kaboom, we caught some really nice fish on this year. I think the second time I had it swimming, we had like a call like a 600 or so on it and have had a bunch more since and tubes tubes in general like that smash baits a tube right it it's is just, yeah, but yeah it has an aggressive face to it as like a pretty hard slant yep um, yep and if it's yep it's it's pretty aggressive for a tube that's like definitely a hawaii favorite for sure that we, thing uh, is i remember seeing that thing it was just always on the surface <clears throat> like it was yep. just like just 
they call it a smash bait for a reason, but it makes the, a lot of noise. Those tubes though, just, uh, you know, we love details. It's, it, are they more of a calm water lure in general? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll try to leave it in there as long as I can. It's some, I, a lot of times I'll pull in the morning, um, or if it glasses out in the afternoon, but it's, there, there's sometimes where I can't pull the tube all day. And like Kona, we're lucky. That's kind of what makes Kona such like a proving ground for lures is that because you're getting calm conditions most of the time and it does get, you know, you get some wind texture and stuff where it makes, where you have to change everything out. Um, but that's kind of how we're doing it. We'll leave the same lures all day. If it's something that you have confidence in, because if the sea conditions are the same, you know, you'll switch something just to switch it some, but if the sea conditions are good, it's just kind of a matter of time there, you know? Um, but yeah, that, that tube is definitely more of a calm water lure, um, stuff like your blue breakfast, um, anything with like a scoop face or, uh, like your heart will run a lot of hard heads on the, um, on like the left long. Um, so what would be your short rigger, um, something that kind of chugs along almost like a chugger head type lure, uh, run something like that. Um, a smaller plunger, um, we'll run plungers up close too, but, uh, the, the plungers go well out on the rigger baits. Um, and it's kind of the same thing, depending on how the fish are feeding, um, we'll run those bullets, um, like your jets or straight running lures on your long rigger, your right long or your shotgun stinger line. Um, almost always, um, we'll put a, uh, something that runs straight like that on the stinger. You want it just barely fluttering on the surface, uh, where you just kind of see a little ripple, a little dish rag from it is kind of when it's running the best, um, a lot of those flashaboo skirts, that Koya 9 Plus is probably my favorite bullet. Um, the Tantrum bullet's really great. Marlin Magic has a baby blue that's really good. Um, there's lots of them out there. But, uh, but yeah, something straight running out the back that you kind of set it and forget it almost. But you want it to – there's a certain motion you want for that too. What were you guys calling it? Like it's, like a bl- it's almost like a black smoke sort of thing. Like it's not going yeah, like to be like a crazy white water – Madness. It's a black water ripple is yeah. kind of what, what, what they call it, you know. And so you want to see it a little flutter on the surface and kind of go down and come up. Especially, it's nice with that flashaboo because you can't see it flashing behind yeah. the boat where it's kind of like a little headlight in the water, you know, where it's just shining out there. And that, that definitely makes it easier to see from the bridge. Um, but that And that overall, I probably have had more bites on that, a bullet on the stinger than anything as far as any size fish from – six, 700 pounds on down to lots of rats, lots of spearfish. Um, so as far as numbers, that's, that's when it, you know, you get a lot on that. Hooks up or um, hooks down on all your lures. <laughs> everything pretty much is hooks down. Uh, really? that stinger, yeah, that stinger will run the hooks up. Um, I can change, uh, with that daily sometimes depending on the lure, depending <laughs> on whatever the last bite you got was. Yeah. Uh, we're typically running hooks down on, especially the big lures. Um, most of the time, every once in a while, you'll get one that, um, that runs better with the hooks up or something, you know, and it's just a matter of experimentation. So you're doing um, that more for the, the, the way the lure is running compared to the way that the, for the fish action. is eating. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Cause the way it is like, I mean, we've drove ourselves crazy trying to figure out like hookup ratios with different things. And, and, you know, personally, I think the truth of it is that you got a fish coming in at, 60 miles an hour sometimes or whatever it is, you know, and they're coming to smash that and every bite's going to be a little bit different. You know, right. we've had it, we had a time this year where we cooked 12 in a row and then I've had it where we've, 
where we've missed six or seven in a row, you know, and you're where you feel like, okay, we're sticking with this hook set forever. This is it. We're using this hook, this rig, this whatever. And then the next week you're like, we have no idea what we're doing. We don't know how to catch a fish <laughs> and we need to quit. You Sounds know? <laughs> like giant tuna fishing. Yep. It's uh, all relative, man. Yeah. It's, uh, we, we, uh, I think one of the, one of the keys when you're, if you're making those rigs though, um, is the coil of the leader. Um, that's something like you were talking about when we're wrapping up the leaders at night and stuff, you want to keep that natural coil the way that it comes. Uh, we're using Momoy 530 extra hard, um, which is pretty standard for what guys are using, um, over there. You have some people use 600 on the big baits and stuff, uh, big lures, but you want to keep that kind of natural coil and the way that it goes, you want that, uh, you want to crimp it, um, to your, uh, to your hook set so that it comes out of the, uh, comes out of the head of the lure and naturally goes up so if um hard to uh describe on just a audio medium but yeah you want that loop to naturally come up from the uh to be from the head of the lure to basically towards a rigger yeah towards the rigger clip towards right. the rigger that's right that's yeah. right so it's coming up you know it's not trying to like that'll make a huge difference if you if you crimp it the other way and it's a it's a thing when you're heat, we use heat shrink on our we're using cable um like 800 pound cable for the hook sets. And so you want it to be your loop there to be, um, perpendicular to your hook. And then, so you can make that, um, make that loop go up. Um, there's also some lures will, you can, if you do it in line with the hook, with the, uh, with the shank of the hook, then you can make it so you can pull. If you know you're going to pull it on the left side or the right side, you can make it where it'll pull to one side or the other. But overall for most people, I say you just want it coming straight up over the top, um, and that and that really does make it pull better. It makes it pull straight and true. Um, but most of the time, it will run hook down, loop coming up off the top. That's a yeah towards the rigger. That's so that's a really good point and tip that I don't think many people, if any people, that canyon can fish think about and mullein fish right. over here even think about. You know, yeah, yeah, it it's, makes a, a, it's huge a little deep on the it on does the, the larger. Uh, larger leader too yeah for sure you know, so yeah thick, it can't stretch so exactly that big leader makes a big difference with it um and you can tell lots of t- if, if you have a lure that you think is running a little bit weird especially if you're used to looking at them you can tell something different's going on you can flip the hook and tell okay that coil's not going the right way or something and it'll start doing the right thing and then it then it's kind of just a personal preference matter okay if you want the hook down you cut it off and you recrimp it you know the other way or you can flip it and leave it up you know, if that's the way you want to do it, I've caught them both ways, hook up, hook down. I think people argue with you all day about both sides of it, but I think it just depends on the bite, you know? Yeah. And all, si- and all single hooks too, right? We run all singles. Yeah. There's times with doubles, um, that I know a couple guys that are really good. That'll pull like a smash bait, um, or something on their short corner where they'll run a double and they run a double more so to rudder the, the lure than really just for a hookup ratio thing. Uh, pretty much anybody who's fished them a long time will tell you that the single hooks or your hookup ratio is going to be just about it, either as good or better most of the time. Yeah. Um, and we're running that hook where um, just IGFA legal, yeah. basically. So the, you want the, the point is just kind of inside that skirt. Yeah. Um, you know, or right, right outside the edge where the hook eye is still inside the skirt. But I, I try to run them as far back as I can for the most part. Um, it takes a little bit of experimenting. Um, we're using, uh, 
heat shrink, kind of uh, heavier heat shrink, um, just kind of electrical wire heat shrink to keep them stiff. Uh, we've experimented with a few little ways to put little wire bars and stuff um, in there to try to stiffen it up even more, especially for our really big lures. Um, you can't stiffen up like your bullets and stuff too much, um, even some of the smaller lures, or it'll kill the action where they just won't have that wiggle to them. Um, but the bigger lures that are more aggressive can handle being stiffened up pretty, pretty well. Um, that's a good, that's a really good tip. Yeah. We've, we've, uh, we've messed around a lot with the stiff loose hook rigs and, you know, it's another thing jumping on other boats over there. Guys have different theories on and, and, um, you know, I know some guys that have all their hooks swinging and they do do great. We've done a little bit better with that stiffer hook rig. Um, I think it just holds the hook a little bit more true when you have a big aggressive bite. Um, and instead of, you know, the way I think about it is kind of thinking about sticking a gaff into a fish where with that straight bar, you're grabbing and it's got a lot of pull power there. Whereas if it's swinging and that fish is coming in there hot and it knocks it out of the way, it could flip over its bill, wrap around, you know, it's just like throwing a, throwing a gaff hook as opposed to throwing like a meat hook, you know, with that's right. just on a rope or something like that. So I, that's that's kind of the theory with the stiffness on that hook rig and and we found it it's worked pretty well for us anyway what about um what about bite like bite drag and or teasing fish so i mean you fish you're from carolina you fish the canyons and stuff like you understand the the multi-species fishery and like having to be very diverse in the way that you approach a bite while trolling is you don't know what it's going to be Yep. But like if you have a clear indication that that's a blue marlin or decent sized blue marlin, like how, like you as a mate, how do you approach the bite? So a couple different ways and, and it depends on, you know, it's another thing that there's plenty of theories on. Um, what we started doing um, this year uh, on our rig uh, more than anything is, is starting at about 18 pounds. Um, and what, and the reason, and we used to, we used to do 30, 35. Um, and it's a lot of people do that super heavy right off the bite drag and Kona. Um, but when, what we kind of found is your small, when you have smaller hundred, 150 pound fish, which we had a lot of this year at 35 pounds, they're getting, even if they get hooked, they'll start flipping over and kind of going all crazy. And a lot of times you'll pull a hook right off the bat. Um, so we'll start at around 18 and either see if it's a small fish, we can kind of leave it there and fight them that way. If it's a bigger fish, I'll strike them pretty much have it 18. It pops out of the clip fish is on and I'll push it up to like 35. And then as it's making its run, I'll back it back down to around 18. So you're just kind of jamming them with that 35 pounds of drag. Once the fish has turned and gone away from you. Yeah. So you really don't, you don't want to do it if the fish is charging at the boat, you know, and just yank that hook right out. It's when they're either perpendicular or turned away from the boat that we pop it up to 35 and really kind of jam that hook in. Um, so that's, that's what we were doing this year. Um, it's, as far as we get a lot of fish that'll come smack it with their bill, hit it and miss it and come off. So the, if the lure pops out of the clip, I'm pulling it forward. I'm pulling it towards the boat, maybe to the wave ahead. I'm trying to either get it back to its position is kind of the first place I'll stop. You want to pull it away. So they see it going away from them and just kind of think of it as a bait fish that they've tried to attack that, you know, it's natural thing is going to be to try to get the fuck out of there. So that's what you're trying to make it look like. Um, so I'll pull it back to his natural position on the wave, just run it flat like that. See if the fish comes back. Um, if Chris can see it there, if I can see it there, I'll leave it there for a second. If it's still under it lit up, I'll keep cranking. 
And lots of times you'll get when you're cranking that thing towards, and I'll pull it. I mean, I've had it eat them. I've had them eat it in the prop wash right there at the back of the boat, you know, where you're pulling it away. Or a lot of times they're going to switch to the other side, um, switch to the big bait on the other side. If it's a short bait bite, they'll fade back. You know, you have, you know, fish. That's part of the reason that stinger's back there too, is to start on the short bait and end up on the stinger, the shotgun. You know, it's just other things to to catch their eye if they're trying to get the big aggressive tuna. You know, eat that meal that they were going after at first, and they lose interest. Maybe they'll see that little bullet coming out the back that they think is like a little. Uh, little mackerel or something and a little opelu and say oh that's an easy meal i'll just have it you know go for the snack side snack. And, yeah exactly and go <laughs> smash that and, I, and we get a lot of fish like that that you you know you miss it on the short and then all of a sudden it's on the stinger so yeah so it's that's kind of the idea with that tease it away from them pull it away um it's not like the you know dolphin fishing and stuff where you're just dropping back and letting it sit and drop or anything you want to pull it away and I mean, you're kind of trying to piss them off more than anything so that they come back and eat it even harder. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's pretty much the same for trolling blue fins on the, on the squid bars and stuff. Like, you might do a little bit of a drop back, but they're also feeding a lot different than a big blue marlin. You know, they don't, yeah. they don't have the acceleration like a, like a marlin does, so it's a little different, you know? Yeah. You're not going to cut your – you have a less chance of getting your fingers chopped off by dropping the drag back on a spreader bar with a blue fin than you do with an 800 pound blue marlin and a lure. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. For Definitely. Sure. Yeah. Um, so one thing that honestly I'm, you've taught me a lot over the last year plus in regards to like photography and just like kind of, I mean, I've always been into it. Taylor's always been into it. Our, our wives are into it, but like, you know, you always can learn something from somebody, especially someone that's, you know, done it for a living outside of fishing as well. But, um, so I don't want to get into the whole, you know, what should everyone buy and this, that, and the other, you know, you can budget yeah. anything and technology is, is crazy nowadays. And there's enough research to be done online. But I think one thing that some people might get get um, out of this question is, you know, Kona is obviously a little bit different. It's nice most days. You kind of know what your weather and lighting conditions are going to be going into it. But like, what's your approach to getting your camera gear dialed in like for the day or like different parts of the day? Like, are you, yeah. you know, are you, how would you, how do you approach it in the morning? How do you approach it at, at noontime? Like, I guess like kind of like low light, like overcast or morning conditions. And then like, you know, bluebird conditions, you know, yep. kind of what's your approach and what's your focus? So I'm usually for me, especially shooting Marlin. So my, you know, the shot I'm going for the most is a fish jumping out of the water. You know, I'll, I'll shoot, anglers fighting it fish beside the boat and all that but the the hardest one to get and the one that i'm like preparing for is is a fish jumping out of the water so i'm my priority is the shutter speed more than anything so i'm using one sixteen hundredth of a second is what i'm kind of set on when my camera is sitting in the in the little basket i keep it in during the day or the pelican case where i can grab it and just start shooting when a fish comes up um, it's at one sixteen hundredth of a second. I have it on shutter speed priority. Um, it's kind of labeled different on different cameras, but that's usually like one of your, your settings, um, that you can on your knob on top. Um, as long as your camera have a, like a DSLR, I tell people as far as gear DSLR that can, you can change the settings manually. Um, it's kind of the key. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be, you know, one DX Canon or anything. It can be, be anything that you can change like that. Um, 
I use like a wide aperture most of the time, like the earlier in the morning or later in the day. Um, you're going to try to open it up as much as you can. And it's because shooting that fast shutter for a jumping fish, you want as much light as you can. Uh, you're shooting really, really fast. And so that camera needs to take in all the light it can so it can get a clear picture um, when a fish is, is jumping out of the water and you're trying to capture it in like, you know, some people will use one two thousandths of a second. Um, I've got them clear jumping at one one thousandth of a second as well. Um, but that's 1600 range is kind of where I've found them at 1600 to 2000. Um, and I think that's really the key. Um, as it gets to the middle of the day, um, where you're just bright and sunny, um, I'll try to try to narrow down that aperture a little bit. Um, my lenses are all like 4.5 is kind of the lowest, um, f-stop that, that they have. And so that's what I'm on a lot of the times. And that gives you the sharpest focus and all that. Um, your ISO, I try to just keep that as low as I can, um, early in the, in the morning, late in the afternoon, cloudy, low light, you'll have to crank that up. Um, the new cameras today are good enough that you don't have to go more than four or 500 probably with that. Um, but yeah, that, that's just interference in your camera, you know, in the picture of how much, um, light that your camera is creating. So, uh, you don't want to crank that up too high and have, you'll have a super grainy photo. Noise, but, yeah. Yep. Yep. Very noisy. Uh, when you crank that up, but yeah, what I tell people, the basic thing is, is try to nail that shutter speed. Um, and you, and you'll have times where you're shooting that fast and it can still be a motion blur with a Marlin, you know, and you'll have it where it can be slower and it, and it comes out crystal clear, but that's kind of the, that's the sweet spot that I've found. Anyway. Yeah. And a lot of, and a lot of people too, it's like a lot of times motion blur sucks, but sometimes it's badass. Oh, I've, I've shot it on purpose before, you know, where I've slowed down and I've used like filters and stuff to, um, to, to make it so I can kind of blur it, you know, and, and it takes a little bit more luck to get and get it right and just get the fish moving at the right speed. But sometimes it looks really cool. Yeah. It adds that little artsy look. Yeah, exactly. It adds action to the photo. You know, it's not freezing every water droplet. Yep. It smooths out the water sometimes, you know, where you'll get like a really, really crazy looking splash to it. Um, you know, beside the boat, you can kind of get creative with that if you've got one uh, along the side. Um, but yeah, that shutter speed priority, you know, that makes it so the other the other variables in the camera, your your ISO and your aperture are uh, will change based off of your shutter speed. But that shutter speed doesn't change. So that's that's kind of what I tell people starting off is to try to use that mode. Yeah. Um, that way. You know, you don't have to worry about, oh, I'm going to take this picture, but I forgot that my ISO is cranked up. So I thought I nailed that jump shot and then it's all white when you, you know, yeah. go look in your camera. So, I mean, I, it's still going to happen. Some, I mean, it yeah, happens to me. I'll, 100%. I'll the angler and like, oh shit, the fish is jumping and spin around. And yep. then I'm like, oh great. And I'm just, you know, <laughs> four pictures of blackness or, you know, <laughs> yeah. all white or something. Yeah. No, I think, um, and I know a lot of this is like kind of intermediate to like advanced photo stuff, but to kind of step back a second, the whole shutter priority, like you, you advised me to do it. It's pretty much foolproof. You know, I I started doing that and was able to capture a lot more good action shots and stuff. The only thing I would say, and, and, and when you start getting to like your level or like a lot of the professional photographers you see in the magazines, 
you know, going shutter priority and it auto- it automatically changes your aperture for you. You're not always mm-hmm. going to have that awesome, like blurry, like depth of field and like where the Marlin or whatever you're shooting is, is like the only, you know, the only thing in focus, in focus, right. you know, but yeah. at the same time, you're going to get everything in focus. If, if you're going shutter priority and you're shooting with the right shutter speed and you're going to get a good overall photo, you know? Yep. Yep, that's that's the thing. It's not you know. It sometimes you can nail it like that. You know, that's the be- best thing. You know, for people kind of getting started as you're trying to figure out those settings. But um, but yeah, as you're once you figure it out a little bit more, like I'll open up that or I'll kind of narrow down the aperture. Sometimes if I think either it's cloudy and the sun keeps kind of going in and out of the clouds. I'll try to get away with as much, um, you know, going to like a 7.1 F-stop or something like that um, because it really gives you more margin for error. You know, you're not going to get quite as crisp a shot. You're not going to get that blurry background, really crisp fish. But if you miss the fish by a foot, like it's, yeah, that's the thing that's frustrating to me where the picture looks all right, but it's nothing I can print. Now that I'm like, yeah where you're like fuck all right well i got an awesome picture of that splash right in front of it or right behind it (laughs) you know it's like literally a foot from the fish's tail but you know the fish is out of focus but that gives you you know the higher the f stop is it gives you a little bit more margin for error for for the focus on that fish too what's uh what's your most like prized photograph that you've taken probably one um it was the first year that i was in kona it's been published. It was on the cover of Blue Water uh, magazine in Australia. Um, just in Marlin magazine recently as well, and and uh, it's it's one that I have on my wall in Kona. But it was like a seven hundred pounder. It's probably the first like you know over six fifty, over six hundred fish that that I caught there. Mike was with us. Um, slick calm thing just like came out, and it was just the perfect fish to shoot. Like blasted off on a long corner, I believe and glass calm day afternoon plenty of light no clouds in the sky and the thing just went off i mean it jumped four or five times like fully out of the water just like angry all lit up turned one time towards the sun it was away from the sun a couple times but the the one is like completely out of the water tail out head out just like water blasting off all around its head and i mean i got i've probably had even when it came to the boat once we right right when we tagged it it was still super lit up so i've probably had at least a half dozen photos of just that fish published and like i said a cover shot and some other like couple two page spreads and stuff in with that but that fish was you know i turned around to chris and i was like fuck man if i hit that the way it looked in the camera i think that's a cover <laughs> shot i don't know man. It looked, it's like it looked really good it's one where you're like terrified when you go look at the camera yeah. when you put them on the computer that it's going to be that one that's like a foot out of focus or something but that one came out pretty good. And it was just like the most photogenic fish from the bite all the way to the, um, you know, to the, to the time we were letting it go beside the boat. It's all lit up and, you know, just, just went nuts and it's just the right, right kind of situation at the right time. So that's the one that, that stands out to me the most for sure. What would your, There's been some good ones. What would your, um, like, num- like what, what is the most important thing as far as you're concerned in getting a good fishing photo? Like the one thing. I, I would say keeping the camera ready. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like that's the, you know, if it's somewhere like I, I'll wear it if I think 
I'll wear it around a lot of the day. Sometimes I'll take it off just because I think it's I'll get in my head about it. Being <laughs> it's a bad luck. Like I'm too, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like wearing the harness. Exactly. Yeah, I've had times where I put it up in the bow, like in the anchor locker, because I'm like, all right, look, I'm not going to get a photo of this fish. Just come, we just need a bite. You know? <laughs> uh, but yeah, keeping the camera ready, man. It sounds simple, but if you if you have it set to the settings that you think, you know, if it gets cloudy, you know, uh, move it down. You know, change your settings a little bit. If it's really bright. But if it's ready to go, like most of the time, your best shot, with, especially with a blue marlin, is going to be right after the bite or right before it gets to the boat. You know, most of their jumping is going to be right, you know, five minutes after you or seconds after you get the bite. Yeah. You know, just just a few seconds after that, they're going to start going nuts. Um, so just having it ready and being able to grab it and know that it's set, not like have to fumble around with settings or anything where you just have it and start hammering away and go. So that's, that's probably the biggest thing. And then the shutter speed being kind of behind that is, is just kind of nailing that shutter speed and, and trying to match your settings to the conditions. That's awesome. Well, I'm not trying to cut you short, but cause I could talk to you for like hours. Oh and man. Hours. Yeah. I'll, I'll probably have to leave, but you can have them do the no, other story. After no, I leave. Especially in quarantine. This has been like <laughs> the biggest breath of fresh air to be able to talk about big fish uh, and all that kind of stuff. You know, it's been great. Same here. Same here, man. I was supposed to be back in Hawaii a couple weeks ago and uh, oh. oh, COVID kept me down. Yeah. So yeah. And we had can't the... even take charters out in Hawaii right now. So wow. Yeah. It's crazy. It's uh, crazy. Yeah. Well, crazy just, times. Just to to finish things up here. Um, well, first off, I just want to say thanks for doing this. We're definitely, obviously, going to do this again. And you you do owe us a fish story. We've already been going for an hour and forty, so I'll save the fish story for our next one. Yeah, it'll be another hour if I do the fish story. So <laughs> yeah. it's a good idea to go ahead and cut that exactly. off. Exactly. But uh, how can everyone find? your find jables photography and then um also make sure that you you lay out all of chris donato and grander marlin's information too yeah man appreciate it it's uh yeah so the best way um is on instagram it's at jables photo it's j-a-y-b-l-e-s photo so at jables photo is the uh best way on instagram is kind of my main thing i'm trying to get a little bit better with the with the facebook content but uh instagram is kind of my main medium for messages and posting and stuff like that and uh website is jablesphotography.com. Um, and for our stuff at Grander Marlin, if you're trying to fish in Hawaii or, or want to plan a trip out there, um, it's myself and Chris Donato. And our website is Grander Marlin, G-R-A-N-D-E-R, marlin.com. So, um, yeah, you can check us out on there. Um, also, at Grander Marlin on Instagram and Facebook um, as well. So if you want to fish out there, that's our operation. And, um, yeah, check out photos fishing whatever we got it visions uh visions of granders too yeah visions of granders we do a series with marlin magazine where uh we're kind of shooting it's a lot of a lot of gopro stuff i've got some new stabilizer rigs and stuff to try to bump up the quality a little bit this year if i can ever get out there um <laughs> so uh yeah but we do a lot of just kind of it's it's pretty rough um it's as we go you know we're kind of shooting it as we fish but uh marlin magazine works with us on a series that we do that's just kind of a uh week to week um what we're doing in kona what we're catching um a little bit of technical stuff and then um you know a lot of just the action that we're having out there awesome so yeah that, that's kind of all our stuff that's sweet well thanks again buddy really appreciate hey man thank it. you thank guys you. man been fun yeah enjoyed it boys
we'll uh we'll wrap this up with the old saying just remember you can't catch them if you don't have a hook in the water or have snacks or or have snacks you need <laughs> snacks always trust your instincts and the third one you'll just have to keep listening stay tight everybody thank you guys for tuning in to this episode of the seabros fishing podcast we'd like to take a second to thank our sponsors again mass bay guides and deep if you're interested in booking a charter with us on the Mass Bay Guides boats, you can visit www.massbayguides.com for rates and availability. Um, call the office at 781-545-6516 to book a trip. If you're interested in how the season's going, what we're catching, how the bite's been, you can follow us on Instagram and on Facebook. Just search Mass Bay Guides and all of our, our daily reports and everything will be there. If you need to gear up for the season, you need some fresh threads, some fresh apparel. If you need to grab a you know face shield or something for this, uh, this craziness that we have going on with the COVID-19 outbreak, make sure you visit www.shopdeep.com. Check out Deep Apparel. They have a lot of great deals going on right now. Um, and you can also use the promo code SEARSBRO20. That'll get you an extra 20% off your next order. We just want to thank you all for your input and feedback to a lot of our latest podcast episodes. We've got some some great uh, responses from our community. We're having a blast doing this. Um, if you have any ideas on guests or topics or anything we are all ears we are more than more than happy to entertain any new ideas and and see if we can get this thing to grow even more and and touch on new things so um, that would be greatly appreciated as well if you want to contact us or you know reach out to us or or just check out what we have going on at seabros fishing you can find us on instagram and facebook at Seabros Fishing. You can also visit our personal pages on Instagram, MBG Brian and MBG Taylor. You can direct message us there. If you want to just shoot the breeze, talk fishing, you know, we're in the same boat as everyone else. So we uh we can't wait to get going. Um get, can't wait to get going with the the 2020 season here and and hopefully it uh, it all comes together despite everything that we're all going through currently. So um with that said Thank you all very much for listening. Stay safe, stay healthy, and stay tight.